You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. Making things a little bit more difficult for you this morning, asking you to light candles without a lighter and uh, <laughs> sing familiar songs, but we're changing them up so that you can throw you off just a little bit. Um, so hopefully you can appreciate that. When I've, I've spoken to a lot of people in the last couple weeks, um, asking people how they're doing, trying to get a gauge on how people are feeling as we enter to the end of this year and into this Christmas season. And probably the most common response I've gotten when I ask people how they're doing um, after we get past sort of the surface level finds is that they're weary. People are tired because it's at the end of an exhausting year for almost everyone. The pandemic has, of course, gone on far longer than most of us imagined when we first heard news of it in January or first knew that it was a public health crisis in the United States in February or had the first lockdowns in March. And while there are vaccines on the horizon, still only God knows how much longer we'll be wearing masks and social distancing. We've just gotten to the other end of an incredibly stressful election season, and still many people are, are feeling the anxiety and the weight of that still, of not knowing what exactly the future holds for our country, what things are going to look like. And now the days are growing shorter and colder, so the outdoors that were kind of the one semi-normal place that we felt that we could take masks off and, and get out with our families are becoming a little bit less accept- accessible. And so we're kind of stuck, huddled up in our homes, which after the end of this year is kind of the last place that most of us want to be. And so I can understand why so many people feel tired. I can relate. I'm, I'm tired of all of this, the weight of this year that feels like it just isn't passing. And then, of course, we're entering into this season where we're trying to press into the season of Advent. We're expecting the season of Christmas. And we want it to be a season of celebration and festivities, of getting together with friends and family. And much of that is gone right now, too. But here we are, gathered together on this third Sunday of Advent. And we are reminded that this season is supposed to be a season marked by joy. Even though we can't gather, we can't have those parties, we can't do all the things we would normally do, we're supposed to have joy, nonetheless. And is this even realistic? Like, is this possible? How do we enter into joy in this season? The prophet Isaiah leads us there. He shows us a way to enter into joy. And he's speaking to a people that know their own share of hardship. He's speaking to a people in exile a people who have been cast out of their land, a people who labor for for somebody who is not their own. They don't own their space. They don't own their land. Instead, their their labor goes to the king of, of Babylon. And yet he tells them, be glad and rejoice forever. He commands them with a word from the Lord, be glad and rejoice forever. And He can do this because, he says, God is making all things new. Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the prophet, unveils God's purposes for the people of Israel. They will be part of God's new creation. 
God has not abandoned his people. There will be a good end for them still, even if they can't see it right now, even if they are in the midst of suffering. They can find joy where they are because they can see what God is doing. This is true for us as well. The invitation here to joy is an invitation to see what God is doing, to open our eyes and, and look and, and give, have this vision of both the end and what he's doing here with us right now. The vision that he has of new creation is beautiful. It's a place of no more sorrow, no more suffering. He says in verse 19, No more shall be heard. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people, says the voice of God. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Sorrow and suffering are foreign in this land. They they don't belong there. They're not there. They're, They're no longer present. And as he continues to go down and paint this beautiful picture of what this new creation looks like, no more untimely death. Nobody falls ill and dies before their time. The young man is 100 years old. It's sort of pointing back to this, the long life, perhaps, that we, we see in some of the, the early patriarchs in Genesis. They build houses and inhabit them. They, they have the fruit of their labor. Is, is they see it. They have it for themselves. In fact, as you go through this list of things that that he's pointing in this new Jerusalem, what you kind of see in this new creation is a picture of the curse undone, of the fall being undone, where where Adam and Eve were cursed to death, instead there is long life. Where Adam was cursed to work with futility, instead there is joy in the work because you get to enjoy the fruit of, of the labor that you have. Where Eve was cursed in childbirth, we find no infants dying. We find no death, no distress, no suffering, no pain. And where the serpent was cursed to eat the dust, still he eats the dust. All of of creation gets to, to celebrate in joy at what God is doing in his holy kingdom. In the new creation, as things are restored, as the effects of sin are undone, And perhaps this is even most clear in the verse where it says, Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Whereas Adam and Eve walked in the garden and God called to them and they didn't even answer. Instead, we see this voice of of God being with them and responding to them immediately. It's this picture of intimacy again, where the brokenness is undone and there is beauty. And when we can see this, if we can see what God is working towards, if we can see this new creation on the horizon, and if we have faith with eyes opened that we can see that it's there, then it makes sense of our present times. It makes sense of our present suffering. I, was watched, I watched a short video this week on a uh, documentary of a stone carver and kind of the work that they do in in working and shaping stone. And it was this female sculptor who was making a bust of a a person. And she was, when you watch her working with the stone itself, it starts out with just this massive block of stone, this tremendously heavy, heavy thing. And 
Um, but it starts out as a really violent process. Um, she takes a drill and like drills deep into the stone and then chisels it to like break it off to be about the size that she wants to work with. And then she's got hammers and chisels of various sorts. And you know, at the, especially in the early stages of the process, there's, there's some pretty violent striking to be able to get things to, to shape in the way that she wants. And when you look at it from the perspective of the stone, Sure. When you look at it from the perspective of the stone, then um, those of you who are online, somebody's phone just asked me to repeat myself. Um, but uh, uh, <laughs> when you look at it from the perspective of the stone, if, if, it does, if, if you see us as the stone and God as working on us, when there, you know that there's a good end, you know there's this beautiful result in mind, the violence makes sense. The suffering, the chipping away, the becoming who we really are begins to make sense if we can see the end. If it's just pointless, or if it was in the hands of somebody who isn't as skilled, if it, it just becomes whacking on stone, hitting rocks together. And that's perhaps what it feels like, what it looks like. But instead, we have this, God is working in us for new creation. He is making something beautiful out of us right now. He's preparing us to be people who belong in this place where there is no sin. And because of that, because of that vision of the future, because of that long-off picture of where we are going to, the place where we belong and the place that God is creating, we can find joy in the present because we look and see the future of what God is doing. But in this verse, in these verses in Isaiah, um, the way that that first verse where it talks about creation um, is translated in the ESV as, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And you'll find if you're looking in different translations, this is a, a verse that is actually translated in a couple different ways. It's an ambiguous verb tense in the Hebrew. The version that we read says, I create. Um, some versions will say, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. Others say, I am creating a new heavens and a new earth. And this is another place where I think that the ambiguity of Scripture is actually intentional. Is, God's, is, is new creation something that God will do, or is it something that God is doing? And the answer is yes. There's a sense in which, of course, we wait for this, for this new creation to actually take place, to be able to enter into it fully, where it's not done. We're waiting for the day when, when this new Jerusalem is revealed to us. But also, God is doing this work right now. The suffering that we experience, the difficulties, the trials that we go through, this is part of the work of new creation. It's not separate from it. As if this period is for a time, and then we move into the period of new creation, and, and then this is no longer has meaning or is connected. There is this intimacy, this connection, where one leads directly to the other. And so there's this, this day, we're longing for this day, where we can see the new creation. But we also get glimpses of it now. And again, when we can see what God is doing, we can rejoice. Now, we have to, we can get mixed up here, because there, there's two ways we can go. One is we can sort of deny that God is working towards that new creation at all. And of course that's wrong, that, that God is working right now towards building this new creation. The other thing we can do is we can have this idea that what we are right now is 
is going to somehow lead directly to the end with no discontinuity. So when I was watching that stone carver video, before she actually started working in the stone, she made a bust out of clay because clay was easier to mold and it was easier to take measurements and work with it so that get a picture of the way that things were going to be. And there's a sense in which this is true, and, and of course the analogy and metaphor breaks down if we try to take it too far, but there's a sense in which the world that we're working in right now feels like it's clay. It's an image of what's going to come. It's, it's working in it, but it's, it's still fragile. There's a sense in which we look and we still see the brokenness, we still see the cracks in the surface of the clay. We still see the cracks in ourselves. We know that we are not that yet which we are going to become. And yet, there's beauty. There is a way that we resonate with the story. We can see where things are going. We can see what things are leading to. And when we see that, when we see what we are being made into, when we see what God is creating, then we can have joy right now, regardless of our circumstances. There's times where we just get glimpses of this. I think, I think those times where we look and just stand in awe and our heart resonates with the beauty of the world or the beauty of the Christmas story or any story of, the, of God's holy story. There's moments where it just brings tears to our eyes as we think about what it is that, that something connects in our hearts deeply about the beauty of what God is doing. And those are moments that God is pointing us to what he is creating and we get glimpses of it now, over and over again. In the people that we see, in the gatherings that we have, in the songs that we sing, in the word that we hear proclaimed and spoken, we get glimpses of what God is doing. And of course, the, the most clear glimpse of what God is doing comes in Jesus himself. we are used to thinking of Jesus as pointing to new creation in his resurrected body. But the incarnation also, as we wait and look in this season for that, also points to the new creation of what God is doing because Jesus is the new Adam. He is the first example of the man without sin. He's the first person that really truly belongs in this new and holy kingdom and he has walked on this earth. He has been here with us. He has taken on the flesh that we take. He has taken on the suffering that we endure. And it says when we see Jesus and we see ourselves in him, when we see him and humanity united with us, that God is saying definitively, he has not abandoned us. He has not abandoned this world. He is making something new. He is doing something good in this world. And we know that for certain because we look back to Jesus. And that's why this season of all seasons, why we can enter into joy and rejoice. Because like the song, O Holy Night, says, there's a sense where we look at Jesus and that incarnation that we experience a thrill of hope. And the weary world rejoices. Because we can see in him that yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The new creation is coming. And I'm going to stretch my stone carver analogy a little bit further. Is Before even that clay model is made, as I was watching this, uh, this short little documentary, the, um, the stone carver was taking careful measurements of a real person. They're actually making this stone image of a real person and they take careful measurements and, and measure everything and they have tools to measure how, how big is, how long is the nose, how deep 
are, are the, the chin and the cheekbones and everything so that they can make something that literally looks like this real person. And Jesus is the model that we are all being built up from. He is the one that when we are being chipped away, when we are being crafted, when, when God has these hands that are lovingly applied to his people, we are being made to look like Jesus. And the real beauty of this is that when we think of this, as Jesus has this image, the firstborn of the new creation, that we are stepping into this, and even if you think of this, this image of us being crafted out of stone into this beautiful image of Christ, you remember back to the creation story where we were initially crafted out of, of dirt. God takes dirt and makes humanity, but then he breathes life into it. We're not being just made into a stone, lifeless image of Christ. We are being made into an image of Christ that God gives us his spirit and breathes true life into us. This is our end. This is our goal. This is what's happening to us right now. And when we have eyes that are open to see it, we can rejoice. No matter what our circumstances are, no matter what's going on in the world, we can rejoice because we are being made into living images of Christ, just as Christ is an image of the Father. So how do we do this? How do we have eyes that see this? Because it's hard. It's one thing to say this and to acknowledge it even in our minds. It's another thing to feel it, to experience it, to actually be able to step in to this joy. The first step to, to, I think, unlocking this joy, to being able to really press into this, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, is, is a step of, of faith. Where faith, we're fundamentally talking here about trusting God. We have to start and believe the premise that God is doing something good. If you take that away, if you, if you take away just the, the very premise that God is working then suffering and just becomes meaningless. It's all random. It, you know, we got a virus this year just because it's, it's just sort of a random occurrence. It happens every hundred years or so. God has no, if, if God has no hand in it and there's no meaning to it, there's no purpose to it, and there's no reason to rejoice in what God is doing. And so we start in faith by accepting the basic premise that God is good and God is working for our good. And if you start with that as a premise and look around, then the world ends up looking a lot different if you have faith and believe and trust that word. We can gather, we can, we can grow in that faith by reading the word, by listening to the word proclaimed to us, by actually trusting this is given to us to show us what God is doing, to listen to words like the prophet Isaiah, where he's saying, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. But it's not just listening to the word and making some sort of intellectual assent. If all we have is a belief that is just intellectually agreeing, yes, I think that God is doing something, then our faith is still not fully developed. It's not fully formed. Because it's no accident that in this particular passage of Scripture, where God is pointing us to the beauty of new creation, he does it in the form of poetry. This isn't just 
a, a description where God just sort of scratches out a line that says, hey, by the way, I'm making new heavens and new earth, so just trust me. It's this beautiful, poetic vision of what the new heavens and the new earth are going to be like. And I was reading in Eugene Peterson this week, and he argues that Revelation as well is a poem. When we're looking to the end, again, there where we see new heavens and new earth and creation, it's given to us again in the language of poetry, where it's using metaphor and, and these visual images, this, this sort of stark, um, the, this rich uh, expression of what this new creation and new, new heavens and new earth are going to be like. And it's not just a matter of knowledge, but of imagination. God speaks words that ask us to, to enter in with imagination to what he is doing. And so we find that in scripture. We find it in, in the poems here. We find it in some of the songs that we sing. We find it in the stories that we read and listen to. God wants us to have a holy imagination where we can see with eyes that are redeemed, where we can begin to imagine what God is doing. And this isn't just a let's make things up where we're sort of telling ourselves pleasant stories so that we can step out of escapism of the reality of what's going on in the world. That's not what I mean when I talk about imagination. I'm talking about the imagination of an artist where they have an end in sight and because of that they can enter into it and actually begin to work towards that goal and see something that's not there yet but it's coming and it is real. And it will become real, but it starts out in their minds as this picture of something that they're working towards. And God asks us to stoke that in ourselves, to work to develop that holy imagination so that we can see what he is doing. He's the artist who's making something beautiful out of this world and out of us. But if our, if our eyes are closed to it, we'll miss it. A long time ago, I used to do photography a lot. And I learned to look at the, diff the world a lot differently when I was using a camera frequently. And I started to look for beauty. And it's amazing to me how much beauty is there when you actually start looking for it. This is the kind of imagination that, I, that we are called into, is to be looking for beauty to be looking for what God is doing. One of the favorite pictures that I took that reminds me of this, I still got it in my house, is a picture of my grandfather's garage. And it was a total mess. It's a picture that has a bicycle wheel and a fishing rod and like um, some bug spray. And it was, it's just a bunch of things that are, as you would imagine, in a garage. So sort of cluttered and sitting up against the wall of the garage. But the way that they were together, you have this round circle and then this line that goes this way and the, the walls of the garage and the colors of the wood and the light was coming in and it was beautiful. And if you just walked by and weren't looking for beauty, all you'd see is a mess. But when you're looking for it, when your eyes are actively seeking out what God is doing, you see it. And then we can rejoice then we can capture that moment as best we can and we can celebrate with what God is doing. Of course, there are times with all of us that we have trouble seeing that. The suffering of this world is real. And there's times where we need to be reset, to have our minds 
clear, cleared again so that we can see the beauty and the wonder of what God is doing. And when we do so, need to do so, when we have trouble seeing it anywhere else, we look again to Jesus. We look again to God coming down as man. To God saying, I am making new creation and you can see that because I'm entering into it. I love this world so much that I will come down into it. I'll give my only son so that you can have a relationship with me, so you can be part of this new creation. So in this Advent season, and as we enter into Christmas, as we continue to celebrate the wonder and the mystery, the beauty of of the new creation that happened in the incarnation of Jesus, see it as the beginning of new creation. Look at what God is doing and rejoice. Amen. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.